Guardian Unlimited. Of the questions to the Prime Minister, Brian Vindley. Number one, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, before listing my engagement, I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in sending our profound condolence to the family and friends of the servicemen killed in Afghanistan yesterday. We owe him and others who have lost their lives a huge debt of gratitude. Mr. Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mr. Speaker, I'm sure the whole House will want me to add my uh, condolences together with theirs to those of the Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, politics is the art of looking for trouble, finding it everywhere, diagnosing it incorrectly, and applying the wrong remedies. Does that sound familiar to the Prime Minister, Mr Speaker? Mr Speaker, they should know about trouble. We had 18 years of it under the Conservatives. As for, as for, remedies, as for remedies, he gives me the chance to make an offer to the party opposite. We have made proposals to legislate on political funding. We have made proposals along the Hayden Phillips report. That includes, that includes a national and local limit on spending both at elections and between elections, and that includes a cap on donations and transparency. I hope the opposition will return to the talks on these matters. Mr Speaker, I add my condolences to those of the Prime Minister. Uh, people in my constituency whose lives have been touched by cancer are dismayed that the SNP administration looks set to cancel a cancer centre at Air Hospital. So I welcome the announcement of a £500 million world-class medical research centre working on cancer and bioscience projects with the Wellcome Trust and Cancer Research UK. Can I ask the Prime Minister for his assurance that this will benefit every part of the United Kingdom? Mr Speaker, there has been a 16% reduction in cancer as a result of the new investment since 1997. And on Monday, the Health Secretary was able to announce further investment, both in prevention and cure, for future years. Today, I met the Medical Research Council. I also met the Wellcome Trust, Cancer UK and UCL University. And we are agreed now that there will be perhaps a once-in-a-generation opportunity to create a leading medical research centre in London that will bring scientists from all over the world Sir Paul Nurse has agreed, has agreed, Sir Paul Nurse, the Nobel Prize winner, has agreed to lead this project. It is a £500 million project and it holds the hope of curing some of the deadliest diseases of our time and I would hope there will be all party welcome for it. Thank you, thank you Mr Speaker. I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to the soldier who was killed in Afghanistan yesterday. The Prime Minister said in May that one of his first acts as Prime Minister would be to build the trust of the British people in our democracy. For the last seven months, the Committee on Standards in Public Life has been without a new chairman. Can the Prime Minister tell us why it's taken so long to make that appointment? Mr Speaker, the new chairman is being announced today. In, 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 in the debate. Listen to what the Prime Minister's got to say. Order. Prime Minister. And, and, and I, I would have thought, in addition to the personalities of this, he'd be inter, 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 interested in the process. And I would ask him again, as I've asked uh, his oppos uh, the opposition MP, does he support the changes that we are recommending in electoral law and political party funding? 
will he, su will he support a national and local limit on expenditure? It's taken him seven months to make one of the most important appointments in politics. Sir Alistair Graham, the former chairman, he said the last fortnight had demonstrated, and I quote, monumental incompetence and an ignorance of the law which beggars belief. Now, last week, the Prime Minister put great store in the investigation established under Lord Whitty, which he called urgent. Will he confirm that this week the inquiry has had to be partially suspended? No, the inquiry, is, the inquiry is not suspended. Lord Whitty continues uh, to, con to bring together and collate information, but the interviewing, the interviewing of people will be, as I said in my letter to the Metropolitan Police, that will be at the discretion of the police. Now, now what, what, the, what the right honourable gentleman, right gentleman has got to answer now is, if he wants changes in the political system, will he support our proposals? On Monday, on Monday he said, I don't believe a global spending limit on election expenditure is necessary. But, it, but, in, but in March, the Leader of the House said, we accept the Hayden Phillips recommendations. We are happy to discuss spending caps on all year round non-election campaigning. Now, which is the position of the opposition? I, I have to say, the Prime Minister, the, the Prime Minister, the, let the Leader of the Opposition speak. He, do, he doesn't need to answer anything. He, ha, he all has to do is ask questions. If he wants a deal, include the unions like we suggested two years ago. But the Prime Minister has just given the most extraordinary answer to the House because I have a copy of the NEC minutes, which were written by Michael Cashman. You have with this government to have a former soap star to chronicle uh, their woes. <laughs> And the NEC minutes make it absolutely clear that parts of that inquiry were put on hold. The Prime Minister was telling the public on Saturday he had acted swiftly, but agreeing with the NEC that parts of the inquiry would be put on hold. So much for openness. Let's have a look at another promise the Prime Minister made. He said he would always do the right thing by the armed forces. So can he tell us, with our troops fighting on two fronts, why he's still got a part-time Secretary of State for Defence? Mr Speaker, first of all, on the issue of election funding and party finance, it's clear that he does not want to enter the debate on the levels of spending. We are, we are, happy, we are happy to rejoin the discussions. Now, se secondly, on the Defence Secretary, let, let, me let, me just say, let me just say there have been many hard-working Defence Secretaries on all sides of this uh, House in many years over the last decade. The Defence Secretary who is in post is a hard-working, conscientious and dedicated servant of the people, and I defy the Opposition to suggest there is any occasion on which he has failed to do his duty by the armed forces of this country. The, def the, defense, the defense Secretary continues to do all the work of the Defence Secretary, and let me just say this. The proposal that the job be shared with another uh, member of the Cabinet, the Scottish Secretary of State, was a proposal made in the 2001 Manifesto of the Conservative Party. He doesn't have to listen. Order. Leader of the Opposition. He doesn't... Order. The Leader of the Opposition. He doesn't have to listen to opposition MPs. Why doesn't he listen? Why doesn't he listen to Lord Gilbert, a former Labour defence spokesman and Labour minister, who said this? 
I think it is a disgraceful appointment. It is an insult, not merely to those who are serving in Her Majesty's forces, but also to their families. The Prime Minister wants to get out of the hole he's dug for himself. Why doesn't he start today by appointing a full-time Secretary of State for Defence? The, the, def the Defence Secretary is hard-working, conscientious, and is doing his duty. And, he can, and, and I asked him to bring forward evidence where he was not. Now, let's just look at this question. Let's just look at this question of defence spending, which has been raised by the opposition. We are spending a billion more on defence every year. We are now spending the second country, the second largest country in the world for defence spending, where we were fifth in 1997. And let the opposition answer this question, because the shadow... Let me... uh, the Prime Minister is in order. He's in order. Absolutely. Prime Minister. As far as defence spending is concerned, when the Shadow Chancellor said, lots of Conservatives come up to me and say, we've really got to pay our armed forces more, we need more soldiers, and so on. Now, these are all very good things, he said, but they do cost money, and part of our discipline, part of the test of whether we are ready for government, is whether we can resist those additional draws on public spending. Far from wanting to spend more, it's likely they would spend less. The Prime Minister wants evidence. Perhaps he'll listen to the former Chief of the Defence Staff, Lord Boyce. Lord Boyce said this, it is seen as an insult by our soldiers, our sailors and our airmen on the front line, and it is certainly a demonstration of the disinterest and some might say contempt that the Prime Minister has and the Government has for our armed forces. So he's broken his promise on trust, he's broken his promise on defence. Now today, Today, he is finally announcing the prison-building programme that we have asked for for so long. Yet, since being Prime Minister, we've had 11,000 prisoners, criminals released early, and the report published today... Order, order. The Honourable Gentleman must behave. It's a strange way he's behaving just now. Uh, order. They don't like it when they can see their government falling apart in front of their eyes. The report... The report the Prime Minister is publishing today says jail sentences should be cut because there aren't enough prison spaces. Surely the Prime Minister agrees that sentences should fit the crime, not the number of prison places. Of, of course sentences should fit the crime, and of course judges and magistrates will be the people who deliver sentences. And I hope, there's no, I hope there is no disagreement between us on this. But, it, but as far as his point about early release is concerned, let me just tell him, early release was decided by the Conservative government in 1984, 1987, 1991 and 1996, and tens of thousands of prisoners were released under these schemes. Now, he should, he should wait for the announcement of the Justice Secretary, but I can assure him that the, rather, the, the proposal of his spokesman of 1,200 prison places we accept that is not enough. There will be more than 1,200 prisoners' places. The difference is that we will pay for them out of the prudence of running the economy. We will not pay for them out of a cancellation of ID cards, which they've already allocated for three different projects over the last few months. People worried about crime on our streets will find that answer, frankly, pathetic. Everybody knows, everybody knows the reason we don't have enough prison places is because he failed to build them. Exactly. I, I know he wants us to think that, like the man in the canoe, he hasn't been around for the last five years. <laughs> but he was the Chancellor of the Exchequer who failed to build the prisons. He promised public safety, but he's let thousands of criminals out of jail. He promised to protect defence, but he's given us a part-time Secretary of State. 
He promised integrity, yet his own government is being investigated by the police. It took Tony Blair ten years before confidence in his administration collapsed. Hasn't this Prime Minister managed it in six months? Yeah. Mr Speaker, crime is down. Crime is down by 30% under this government. Burglary is down by 55%. Violent crime is down by 31%. Four and a half million less victims of crime as a result of the changes. We have more police than ever before. We've built 20,000 prison places. We're about to announce we're building more. We can do it because we run a successful economy, not the failed economy we inherited from the Conservatives. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Chief Executive of Yorkshire Forward recently informed me that Barnsley's economy has now recovered to the levels it enjoyed prior to the previous government's um, Tory, uh, the, 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 the massive pit closure programme that was invoked by the previous government in the early 1990s. That's mainly thanks to this Labour government and a progressive local Labour council. And does my right honourable friend agree with me that the the people of Barnsley may have been brassed off with the Tories in the 1990s, but they will never be brassed off with this Labour government and this Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, what Yorkshire Forward has done and what local councils have done to rebuild employment in the areas which were devastated by the loss of mining jobs is something we should all congratulate them for. And that's one of the reasons why there are nearly three million more jobs in this economy, why unemployment is down a million, and I have to say to this House, if we were to take the advice of the Opposition and abolish the New Deal, we would have higher unemployment. We will have lower unemployment under a Labour government. Speaker, can I uh, add my condolences for the soldiers lost in Afghanistan? Uh, now that the taxpayers' loan to Northern Rock has almost reached the level of the annual defence budget <laughs> and is increasing every week by £3 billion, the equivalent of 15 hospitals. What guarantees has he received that this money will be fully repaid beyond the vague assurances offered by Mr Branson uh, and the assault assorted collection of, of hedge fund sharks who are behind him and others? I, I think the uh, right honourable gentleman should make up his mind whether he wishes Northern Rock to be rescued or not. The, impo the important thing for the stability of the economy and for the security of mortgage holders and for the company's uh, shareholders itself is that this company be rescued. We have taken the action that is necessary. I believe at one stage there was all party support uh, for that. I believe we've done the right thing and I believe any settlement of this with any potential buyer will insist that the public funds are properly protected. There is a sensible way of rescuing this bank. Why is he so dogmatically opposed? to the common-sense solution of public ownership on a temporary basis, which will, which will protect the public loan and the North East and the depositors. Is it that he regards the advocates of this policy, which now include the Financial Times and The Economist, and apparently his own civil servants? Are they all too left-wing, or is he petrified by indecision? Mr Speaker, I'm beginning to think he's better at the jokes than he is at his economics. Because, 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 Mr, because Mr Speaker, when he talks about Northern Rock and talks about public ownership and talks about it as a temporary solution, what he means is that we should be trying to find a private buyer. 
and that is exactly what we're going to do. All options are on the table, but we are trying to find a private buyer. Tim McGovern. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My right honourable friend will be aware that Tesco, one of the UK's most successful companies, generated a profit of some £2.5 billion last year and regularly trumpeted their commitment to fair trade. Meanwhile, Tesco workers at a call centre in my constituency are reduced to taking blankets and hot water bottles in to work with them because of the low temperatures. Tesco responded by issuing a memo to all employees suggesting that they wash their hands regularly and, rather bizarrely in my view, sing happy birthday at the same time. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that such, such a response is entirely inappropriate in this day and age and that Tesco's on their commitment to fair trade should include fair treatment of workers and that Tesco's finest are in fact their workforce? Well, Mr Speaker, Tesco's has a reputation for being a, a good employer. It is uh, an employer that has a union, OSDA, that represents its workers. I'm sure that these matters will be taken up uh, with them. In addition, uh, uh, we're working with Tesco's and many other retailers to create more jobs for local people. But, of course, it must be jobs with the best conditions possible. Mr Speaker, the NHS saved the Prime Minister's sight. But under his government, thousands of people with wet eye, age-related macular degeneration are going unnecessarily blind. There is a simple and effective sight-saving treatment, but is not available on the NHS. Patients are told they have to pay for private treatment or go blind. Is that morally right? I understand the point he's made. As you know, tremendous advances have been made in both ophthalmic surgery and ophthalmic treatment in recent years. This is essentially a matter for, for NICE, uh, one on which they can make recommendations. I will ensure that that matter is before them. Lord Armstrong. Mr Speaker, my right honourable friend I know uh, has seen and values the work of volunteers in many uh, poor countries in the world who make such a contribution to our international development commitment. Today is International Volunteers Day and I hope that the government that the Prime Minister will re-emphasise the commitment of the government to supporting volunteers who play such an important part in bringing hope to impoverished communities. Well, well, well Mr Speaker, I know that uh, my right honourable friend herself was a voluntary service uh, overseas uh, volunteer uh, and did a tremendous amount of work in, in Africa uh, in her youth. And I know there are thousands of people who have benefited from serving overseas, as well as thousands of people who have had the benefit of that service. And when I was in Uganda for the Commonwealth Conference, I met some of the volunteers who are giving off their time to help rebuild schools and the economy in that area. I understand that VSO is 50 years old next year, uh, but there are many more young people who want that opportunity of gap years, and I hope it will be possible for many more people to link up uh, with projects abroad from this country, particularly people from poorer areas. Andrew George. Um, Mr Speaker, further to our exchange uh, last week, I should ask the Prime Minister uh, that uh, when we have a local market which appears to reward those who are fortunate enough to be able to buy more properties than they actually need, but operates as if hard-working local families have no right to be, to be living there, does the Prime Minister not agree with me that we need now to explore policy solutions to these problems to give those people in need a real chance? And would he be prepared to meet with me and delegation from my constituency to continue that conversation? Yeah. Well, of, course, of course I'm happy to, to meet a delegation to talk about housing. I have to say to him that when he raises the question of uh, taxation on, 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 on housing and capital gains in relation to it, he should know that capital gains tax for the
rate in capital gains tax for a second dwelling, it is still a great deal higher than 0%. As far as additional housing in his constituency is concerned, I've looked at his local authority area. There are 382 houses under construction at the moment. The annual dwelling requirement is said to be 230, so at least in his area, house building is moving. I hope it can move forward in other areas as well. Phil Brown. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. The conference being held in Bali this week is being seen as the world's last chance to avoid catastrophic global warming, keeping in mind that the world's most industrialised nations are actually responsible for increased greenhouse gas emissions. What positive messages does the Prime Minister hope to hear from Bali? The, the, the Secretary for the Environment uh, has been in Bali uh, working with other people to try and get the first stages of an agreement. I believe that there is general goodwill for a binding agreement that will include all the countries, and that will include America as well in future years, and I hope over the next few months we can make progress. We, the European Union, have put forward proposals for a 20 or 30 per cent cut by 2020, and there are discussions about a far higher cut in 2050. We are prepared to make the steps forward, and I hope other continents will join us as a result of the Bali talks. Philip Dunn. Yeah, 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 yeah. Having fixed school spending per pupil for the next three years to favour labour areas and forcing school closures in Shropshire and other rural counties, isn't this scandal what the Prime Minister really means when he talks about education for the many, not the few? I have to tell him that education spending per pupil was falling under the Conservative Government. It is doubled under under this government and will continue to rise. And I have to say to him that what will do most damage to his constituency is the proposals of his front bench to transfer money out of the school building and school repair programme that will mean 240 schools cancelled, one in seven of the new secondary schools to be built. And I hope he'll ask his colleagues to think again about that proposal. In Newham, we have 30,000 families on the housing waiting list. We have 5,000 families in temporary accommodation. Will will my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, agree to meet with me to discuss how we can ensure that the building Thames Gateway and at Stratford City is appropriate to the needs of those families and is the right size? Mr Speaker, the Thames Gateway is now the biggest uh, regeneration project in Europe and it will create thousands of homes and thousands of jobs, and it will mean the redevelopment of a whole area of London that previously was neglected. And I agree with my honourable friend that what we need in that development is not just houses but affordable housing, and that's why in the discussions we've had had with the project and those people who are part of it, we are insisting on a very high level of affordable housing, either shared equity or housing for social rent. Mr Speaker, with with three different police investigations underway, with two members of his Cabinet and his protégé in Scotland falling foul of the law, and his General Secretary facing charges, is this what the Prime Minister meant when he called himself a conviction politician? (laughs) Mr Speaker, if if the Conservative Party... If the Conservative Party... If the Conservative Party wants to play their part in sorting out uh, politics for the future, then they should adopt the proposals we are putting forward for the national and local limits on expenditure and greater transparency in the way things are done. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Is the Prime Minister as pleased as I am to see today's announcement 
about a comprehensive plan for stroke services. And having, having visited a stroke association-led rehabilitation class in Stafford, can I urge him to make sure that our health and social care services fully involve the stroke association the patients themselves and, crucially, their carers. Mr Speaker, he may have seen a report this morning that shows that voluntary organisations, as well as the private sector, are more involved than ever in the provision of public services. Uh, and one of the advantages of evolving the Stroke Association and others is that they can make their views known about how services should be shaped for the future. And we have uh, a situation this week where we've launched a cancer strategy, we've launched a stroke strategy, we have now launched a, a new uh, medical research centre that will be the leading research centre in Europe. The health service is moving forward to the 21st century with a Labour government. It should not be damaged by a Conservative party. Guardian Unlimited.